morning. I appreciate Peter doing the Apostles' Creed for us, and next week he's going to explain what every single thing in there means. The um, denomination that I grew up in, we recited it every Sunday, and I couldn't have told you what one thing in it meant, because I was in the back as a kid, I'm in the back making airplanes and spit wads and thinking about girls and everything but what I should have been doing. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and, and these guys will be glad to give you one. Take your Bibles and or your handheld devices and turn to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. Now, I trust... For those of you using a handheld device, you, did, you have it on Jeremiah chapter 1, correct? That's good. I appreciate that. Jeremiah chapter 1. I had someone confess to me this morning during my 930 class that he was texting me. While I'm teaching, he's texting me something that I needed from him. But it had nothing to do with Colossians, which is what we were studying. But he did it prior to me getting into it, so I guess we're going to let that go. All right, Jeremiah chapter 1. We began last week, and we will be in for uh, uh, until the Lord comes back and or changes my focus. Uh, we're going to, for several weeks, we're going to look at some passages in the book of Jeremiah. We're going to be skipping around. It's not written chronologically, and so we're just going to be taking some some different looks at passages in the prophecy of Jeremiah and see what we can learn. If you'll notice on your handout that our series is Lessons from a Faithful Failure. And we talked about this last week and, and today we're going to get into it a little bit more about this man, Jeremiah, and what we can learn from him. And you notice the title of this particular message is No Excuses. God wanted Jeremiah to understand, I'm going to be with you, be strong and of good courage, do not fear, for the Lord your God goes with you, he will not leave you. And so the primary thing that I want us as believers and the children of God as the church of Jesus Christ to take away from this series is God has you, where he wants you, assuming you're a child of God, you're born again, you know Jesus as your Savior, where you are right now is where God has you for this moment. That might change. But for now, this is where he has you. And what he wants for you is, as we talked about last week, kind of introing what a prophet was, that he wants you to speak the truth. Literally, the primary job of a prophet was to be a fourth teller, not a foreteller, even though he did both. A prophet's primary job was to speak the truth. The job of the church, corporately, the Catholic church, as we saw in the Apostles' Creed, I'll let Peter explain all that again next week, the church of Jesus Christ, everyone who's born again, whatever group you might be affiliated with, denominationally. If you're born again, you're a child of God, you're a Christian. We're on the planet for one reason, 
speak the truth in love and see others come to be followers of Jesus Christ. That's the Great Commission. Go into all the world and make disciples. Learner, followers of me, as you are. So if you're born again, I don't care how old you are. If you're 16, if you're 10, if you're 61, if you're 81, God has you on the planet to speak the truth in love. To live, the chief end of man is to glorify God. Well, in the eyes of the world, Jeremiah was a miserable failure. But in the eyes of God, he was faithful. Faithful, as we talked about last week, for 50 years to speak the truth. He said, Jeremiah, I just want you to go out there and tell them what I tell you. They didn't want to hear it. They wanted nothing to do with Jeremiah. They persecuted him. They tried to imprison him. He was ostracized by his own people. Even though he was of the priestly tribe, he was not treated with the respect that he deserved as a Levite. He was disgraced, publicly humiliated, rejected by his peers, his own people. Consistently, he stood up and spoke the truth. One of the things that's fascinating about being a prophet, and we kind of ended here last week, was if you were a prophet or if you were a priest, you knew what you were going to do. Your duties were to go to the temple and do what you were supposed to do on a daily basis. You were basically preserving the past and the tradition of the children of Israel through the sacrificial system and the Levitical priesthood and all that went with it, all those trappings. But if you were a prophet, it's kind of every day was new. You got up and you said, all right, Lord, what am I going to say today? And God would say, you go to them, to them and say, thus saith the Lord. And they would say, we don't want to hear what you got to say, but you say it anyway. You say it anyway. Jeremiah did that for 50 years without one positive response, without any affirmation from the people, without any encouragement. There's not a church in West Memphis or the rest of the world that he would have lasted because the people didn't like him. And the reason they didn't like him, they didn't like what he had to say. But he spoke the truth. Now, that's so important that we understand as believers that it is not our job to please men. It is our job to do what God tells us to do, to faithfully speak the truth in love. So we're going to start on number one on your handout today, the context of the book of Jeremiah. Last week, we set up the context of prophecy in scripture, today we're specifically going to look at the context of the book of Jeremiah in the first three verses and then see where we are. When Solomon died in 931 BC, the nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms. We've talked about that, just going to highlight it quickly. The northern kingdom was 10 tribes, it was called Israel. And you have to keep up with where they are in the Bible or you get confused. The 10 tribes, 931 BC, when Solomon died, 
They're divided into two kingdoms. The northern, northern, northern kingdom, the Yankees, were called Israel. Ten tribes out of twelve. I'd leave two, Randy. All right. The two, the southern kingdom was called Judah. And it had two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. In 722 B.C., the northern kingdom, which was called what? Israel, went into captivity under Assyria, and they pretty much, you don't hear about them anymore. So then Jeremiah prophesies to the southern kingdom, Judah, from 626 to 587 B.C. And the theme of his prophecy to them is, learn from your northern brethren. Don't be like them. Don't repeat their history. Repent. Submit to God's will or you too will be judged. <coughs> Pardon me. Will be judged like they were. So Josiah, who's the last godly king of Judah, is on the scene. And Jeremiah begins, he's the king, Josiah. Jeremiah begins his ministry in about the 13th year of the reign of Josiah. And Josiah had begun, he's an incredible young man. He became king at age eight. Eight. At 20, he began to reform the entire southern kingdom of Judah because they found the word of the, <coughs> the, word of the law, the book. And he said, oh, maybe we ought to follow God's word. And as a young man, he begins to do an incredible public reformation of the nation of Judah, tearing down all the, the idols and reinstituting worship, true worship. Jeremiah's job, as he comes on the scene, is to take what Josiah is doing publicly and to preach to the individuals in the nation of Judah to change your heart. Josiah is saying, this is what we're going to do as a nation. You, as an individual member of the nation of Judah, as a Jew, what are you going to do? Are you going to submit to the one true God? So it's Jeremiah's job to preach the truth to the individuals as Josiah reforms a nation. Quick example, this Thursday is National Day of Prayer. And at noon, we'll have a little ceremony over it at Town Hall. And I was looking at the National Proclamation about National Day of Prayer, and it's, it's kind of interesting. You read it, the whereas, 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 and, and there's a little bitty spot right in the middle of it. It says, and every religion will pray. And I thought, just don't get it. Every religion will pray. How many gods are there? What's the first of the Ten Commandments? We're going to learn that at my funeral. I want everybody to recite the first of the Ten Commandments. It's what? Just stand up in the middle of the funeral. Nobody go, what is wrong? I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You will have no other gods before me. You can pray to anybody you want to, anything you want to, unless you're praying to, to the Lord God Jehovah of Scripture through his son Jesus Christ, your prayers will not be answered. How do you know? Because Jesus said, I am God. I alone am God. So Jeremiah stands up and says, here you are, Judah. 
Israel is gone because they turned to idols and they rejected God. If you don't do the same, judgment from God is coming upon you. Well, soon, Judah begins to go into the same moral decline that Israel did. And their moral (coughs) decline ends with the Babylonian captivity. Three sieges under Nebuchadnezzar begins at 605 B.C., last to 586 B.C., Jeremiah's warning that they're coming, and Judah doesn't listen, and they don't repent, and they're carried away by Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon, and he totally destroys Jerusalem and levels the temple. They no longer have a land. They now are owned by the Babylonians. You study the history of the Jews in their books of history, they say there are two great catastrophes that have fallen upon the nation of Israel, including everybody. One was what we're looking at here, the Babylonian captivity, when they come in and level the temple. They go back after 70 years, they rebuild the temple, they rebuild Jerusalem. You read about that in Nehemiah and Ezra. And then they say the second great catastrophe is in A.D. 70 when the Romans under Titus come in and level Jerusalem and destroy Herod's temple. It had been called the Rubble Bulls and it was renamed the Herods. That's the temple that was on earth when Jesus was around. And in A.D. 70, the Romans destroy that. Both of those great catastrophes under Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian And then under Titus, the Roman, in A.D. 70, could have been averted if they had simply listened to the prophet of God. If they had listened to Jeremiah and repented and returned to God, they could have avoided the Babylonian captivity, and they did not. And then if they had listened to a young man named Jesus of Nazareth who said, every stone here is going to be pulled down on top of each other, if they'd listened to Jesus Christ and repented, returned to him, they could have avoided AD 70, but they did not. Two great catastrophes because they would not listen to God. So Jeremiah spends the last 10 years of his life in exile in Egypt, betrayed by his fellow Jews. He dies unknown and unhonored. 50 years to simply Preaching the truth. That's why he's known as the weeping prophet. He was intensely patriotic. He loved his nation. He loved his people. He loved his God. And it killed him. Knowing what they were doing. And every day he was saying, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. Why will you not listen? Why will you not listen? He cried. He hurt over his people. Do you ever feel that way about your nation? My assignment Thursday at National Day of Prayer is to pray for our nation. I said, could I get another one? I got our nation, our county, our city, Arlington, and the military, and I get five minutes. No, I'm just kidding. That's my assignment Thursday. Do you know what? It's an honor. It's a privilege. 
God says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Somebody asked me in my class this morning, what are you going to say about that? And I said, I'm just going to say pray without ceasing. Because that is our job. Again, that's why we're here. Our prayers are effective. God works through them. Jeremiah just stood up day after day after day. Here's what God wanted him to understand. He had no family. He was never married. He was alone. He was honest. He was sensitive. He hurt. I love the beauty of the Bible and what it tells you. Because then we're going to see as we go through this, when God was alone with Jeremiah, he would call out. When Jeremiah was alone with God, he would call out and say, Lord, why? He was honest about his feelings. God knows them already. That's what he wants in prayer. See, prayer is me submitting myself to the will of God, not giving my list of do's and or what I'd like. Lord, would you please do this? It's coming to him and saying, Lord, by faith I trust you. What do you want me to do? Jeremiah would get alone with God and cry out. He had to think about that existence. He didn't even have a family to support him. I was thinking about Job as I was looking over this again this week. As faithful and just and as righteous a man as Job was, finally his, his own wife turned to him and said, what? Won't you just curse God and die? It's tough, wasn't it? Job just persevered. Persevered. Like Jeremiah. Like you and I. It's not always going to be easy. Matter of fact, it will be diff- very difficult at times. The Bible says it. Jesus said it. Clearly life proves it. Your life experiences prove it. What God says is no excuses. Just get up. You've got a job to do. Get up today and go do your job. I will be with you. It doesn't mean I'm going to take it away. I love the passage the Bible talks about when you're in the fire, I'm going to go through it with you. I'll go through it with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So when it's tough, I know it's tough. I'm going to be right there in the middle of it with you. I want you to use this to glorify me so people will be drawn to me in how you deal with difficulty, whether it's people or it's circumstances. He was a fearless man, stood up and did what God wanted him to do. And he never got to see the positive results of when they went back. After the Babylonian captivity in AD 70, they go back. Excuse me, not AD 70. After 70 years, they go back. And he didn't get to see that. He promised, he prophesied the new covenant that was to come. Tremendous prophecy we'll see in Jeremiah chapter 31 about what Jesus would bring. He just spoke the truth. I want you to notice what 2 Timothy Chapter 4 has to say for us as we apply this. What can we learn from a guy like Jeremiah? What can we learn? Second Timothy chapter 4 says this. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word! Exclamation point. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort, with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, 
They will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Please don't miss verse 5. Paul's writing this to Timothy, but the Holy Spirit is writing it to us. But you, be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. You will have afflictions. Endure them. Do the work of an evangelist. And that simply means you go out and share the gospel, the good news, speak the truth. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Please look up here. He begins that with Timothy by saying, preach the word. Be ready, in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort. Let the word of God do what it does. But every one of you who's born again, I don't care who you are and I don't care how old you are, you are a minister. It means servant. We are here to serve others. It's different ways, it's different capacities, it's different roles. But every believer is a priest according to the word of God who takes God to others. We represent God to our world, as did Jeremiah. It's an honor. It's the call on your life if you're born again. God saved you, called you, redeemed you, put you into the world to say, now, go show them that I am. I am. Someone has said, the recent book even was written again about it called The Fifth Gospel. That there are five gospels in the world. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And many people never read the first four. And the fifth one is you. Fifth one is you. It's an honor to bear the name Christian in a world, in a nation that is no longer Christian We say that we are, but very much we're what the Bible calls the spirit of Antichrist in many, many ways. But you know what? Greater is he who's within us than he who's within the world. That's why our prayers are so significant. That's why we have to understand there are no excuses. It's tough, but you get up. You got a job. You got a ministry. All right, let's briefly look at the, that's the context of the book. Let's briefly look at the call of Jeremiah on his life. Jeremiah 1.1. I'm going to read these verses, then we're going to get into 4 and 5. The words of Jeremiah 1.1. The son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anath, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. We talked about all that. It also came in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the next king of Judah, until the king of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the carrying away of, the Jerusa- of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. That's the Babylonian captivity. That's everything we've been talking about. Now, verses 4 and 5, let's look at the call on Jeremiah's life. And the first thing I want you to notice is God's preparation. Verse 4, the word of the Lord came to me saying, to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. And that means set apart, set you apart. 
I ordained you a prophet to the nations, appointed, set apart, and appointed. God said, before I knew you, before I knew you, I sanctified you, I ordained you, I set you apart for me. I formed you in the womb to be a prophet to the nations. God, back in the 70s, they had these, uh, and they may still be around, I don't know. They had these tracks we used to use all the time, came from Campus Crusade, I believe, called Four Spiritual Laws. How many of you have ever heard of them? A few of you have. If you were ever Southern Baptist, you, you had one tattooed on your forehead, more than likely. But Four Spiritual Laws, Bill Bright, and, and they, they put them out. And the first, first and it's, if you were going to witness to somebody, it was a progressive way to share the gospel, the Roman road and how to share the gospel. The first of the Four Spiritual Laws was, number one, law number one, God loves you. And has a what? Wonderful plan for your life. It's exactly what he's reminding Jeremiah. Please take this as a strong encouragement from God. It's such a powerful truth to remember. He says to Jeremiah, before you were formed in the womb, by God, by the way, before you were conceived, I knew you. I already have set you apart. I already had appointed you to be a prophet to the nations, particularly to Judah, but also even to other nations that would hear. Here's the encouragement for you. I was born in 1954. I'm helping coach a little girls softball team, nine and ten-year-old girls. And one of them the other day asked me when I was born. And I told her, she goes, What? 1954? And I don't know what year you were born, but I do know this. Think about it. Meditate on Scripture sometimes. Think about this. Prior to God speaking the universe into existence, he knew about you. He knew about you. He knew about me. And he had a job for me, a wonderful plan for me. He loves you. He sent Jesus to die for you so you could be redeemed, so you could then go out and do that wonderful job he set you apart to do. And listen, please look up here. We'll talk more about this as we get into Jeremiah. He was not perfect. He complained a lot, kind of like your spouse or your children. Those little 10-year-old girls have a lot of complaining to do. It's amazing. I don't want to catch. I don't want to play center field. It's hot out here. God wants you to understand. You're not perfect. But I saved you for a job. I got a great plan for you. Now, if you're a parent... It's going to start there. One of the things I was sharing with my son this week, I was with him for a little while, uh, one day this week, and he's got a little one-year-old girl, and I was saying to him, son, you don't, I know you don't understand now, but this is, this is job number one for you, is to disciple that little girl. I know she's only one, but one of these days, you've got to understand, God gave her to you, 
because one day you won't be here anymore and her generation has got to step up to the plate and carry the gospel forward. Like, I'm not going to be here forever. I, my, my children, I, say, and I was t- telling him, I said, son, you, Beth, Martha, your generation, got to step up. Now, it doesn't start once we're gone. It starts right now. A lot of 28-year-old men don't understand that. But it is, if you're born again, God's called you, set you aside, ordained you for a job, and here's what he says. No excuses. No excuses. I didn't call you to sit and soak. I called you to go. And at the literal Greek in the Great Commission is as you go. How many of you are going to go somewhere today? You're not going to stay here all day. You'll stay here for a while because we've got a great day planned. But sooner or later, you're going to leave. Like tonight, I've got to teach a class at 6 o'clock in Bartlett. God willing, I'll be there at 6 o'clock tonight. And tomorrow, I've got several places to be. And every day this week, you've got stuff to do. You're going to go somewhere. And God says to you, as you go, as you go, make disciples. It begins at home, especially if you're a parent. If you're married, husbands, it begins with you. God expects you to be the leader in your home and disciple your wife and your children. It took me a long time to learn that as a husband because my wife was so much further along when we got married than I was. She taught me so much. Then I realized when my first child was born in 1975, and I'm sitting in the waiting room watching Alabama and Missouri play football and playing cards with the guys. And the doctor comes out and said, the doctor was a woman who did not like men. I'm not talking about anything, but she just didn't like men. She called me over to the window and said, hey, bub, you have a little girl. And I went, oh, God. I'm a senior at the University of Memphis a janitor in a church. And that little thing back in the waiting room at Baptist downtown or in the nursery was dependent on me. And God said, it ain't about racquetball, basketball, and hanging out anymore, dude. It's time to grow up. It takes a lot of men, sometimes it, it, it takes a child to realize, hey, grow up. But sometimes it takes two or three children or a crisis But if you're born again, God says, we're not waiting around, buddy. Today is the day. So you don't know everything. Guess what? Nobody else does either. Are you going to be able to answer every question that you're asked? My eight-year-old granddaughter asked me a question last week I couldn't answer. I think I told you guys before, but she asked me, we're talking about language, eight years old. She says, "Uh, Granny, what language did they speak before the Tower of Babel? And I went, good question. Ask your mom and dad. (laughs) What a great question. You know what? If I were her mom and dad, I'd probably look for an answer. It ain't my problem. I'm her grandfather. I can't do everything. (laughs) But aren't you glad they ask questions like that? And especially if you've got teenagers. Well, what a great time in your life unless you're the parent. 
And now it's dropping down. I'm noticing even like 10, 11, 12, those attitudes like, well, really? 10 years old? What a great time to disciple them because when they hit 18 and they're gone, why is it most 18 to 30-year-olds who grew up in church don't go? Why is it they don't go? Statistics prove it. Between 18 and 30, most people who grew up in church, including evangelical churches that preach the word of God, drop out of church. Why? Because it wasn't theirs. It never became their faith. It was their parents. Dads, moms as well, but primarily dads. I'm saying this to you because I, I are one, and I was one when they were that age. Challenge your teenagers. Look them right in the eye and say, don't tell me what I want to hear. Tell me the truth. Do you believe Jesus is God, yes or no? Because they will be ripped apart when they hit college if they don't know the answer to that question. Challenge them. And don't, if they say no, be cool with that. Don't say, what's wrong with you? I go, we go to church. Of course you believe it. I'm the preacher. No, it's got to be theirs. You, you get ownership in something, it's important to you. Do you own your faith? Do you, is it yours? Or are you just doing it because it pleases mom, dad, or grandy, or whoever? Is it yours? If it's not, and you're a parent, if it's not theirs, that's fine. Dialogue with them. Discuss it with them. Answer, when they got questions you can't answer, say, that's a great question. I'm going to find out. Don't call me. It's great that they ask the questions. Never, never tell them not to ask. If they have doubts, they need to express those doubts. Jeremiah did. They need to express them to you, and then you need to dialogue with them. Discuss it with them. Challenge them. You don't think they're going to get challenged? They're getting challenged in high school. You don't think they're going to get challenged when they hit college? They, I had professors in 1972 that were challenging us. If we were Christians, that we were idiots, stupid, irrational, certainly not intellectual. But God wants you to rem remember. I knew about you before I spoke the universe into existence. You were important to me. And that hasn't changed. There's a call on your life. I was reading a story this week about a, a pastor. He's, still, he, he's a pastor now, and I read a lot of his stuff. Very impressed with the guy. And he was talking about when he was growing up, and he really felt like that this is what God wanted him to do with his life, was to be a preacher. He said his, the neighbors knew it, and, and they would, they would uh, point out to his, his mom that he was very inferior, and he probably shouldn't, shouldn't be doing that. And said when he was in his late teenage years, one of his sisters felt called by God to come to him, as a sibling would do, and said to him that in her opinion, which was inerrant like the word of God, her opinion, she said, in my opinion, if God called me, called you to do anything, he must have had the wrong number. And when I told my preacher I was called to preach, he didn't necessarily feel that God had a wrong number, but he was concerned that he might have gotten a poor connection. 
Listen. You're not called to be what somebody else wants you to be. You're not called to be somebody else. You are unique. Your personality, your heart, your abilities, you are unique. So don't try to be somebody else. I can never be Peter Simons. And I don't want to be. Well, maybe I do. But I could never be Peter Simons. God never called me to be Peter Simons. Who did he call me to be? Randy Lockley. Good or bad, that's who he called me to be. And he then gifted me to do what he wants me to do. Not what he gifted Peter to do. I love people like Peter and Beth and these other folks up here. They're so talented. And I love not just to worship with them, but I admire that talent. But God didn't give that to me. He just gave me good looks. It's a curse. I realize that. But I am what God wants me to be. And I should never, when you complain about who you are, particularly if you, like physically, you know what you're saying to God? You made a mistake. You made a mistake. God ever make a mistake? No. No, he did not. God has prepared you. Secondly, we're going to stop with this. We're going to do this, verse 6 through 8. God's provision. God's provision. Verse 6. Then said I, oh, Lord God, I cannot speak. I am a youth. What's the next word? There it is. But, verse 7, the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth. For you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. He says to Jeremiah, I got a job for you. And Jeremiah begins the excuses. God said, no, I've got that covered. He said, Lord, you don't want me to do that. I'm just a youth. And youth here probably means he was under 30. I'm a youth. I love that passage where Paul told Timothy, let no one despise your youth. You be an example to other believers in word, deed, faith, purity. Again, it does not matter how old you are. If you're born again, you're called to a life of purity. You're called to a life of example. You're called, not perfect, a call to a life of service. God said, you just tell them what I tell you to say, don't be afraid. No excuses, Jeremiah. I will deliver you from everything. Doesn't mean you won't go through it. You will. But you're going to have to trust me. And what he would say to us, no excuses. Get up. Go say what I've told you to say. Fortunately, we don't have to wait every day for God to tell us. He gave us the Bible the word of God. So we speak the truth in love because that's why we're here. God saved us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. One of the things I love about learning lessons from a guy like Jeremiah 
is that I'm reminded as I study him, as tough as it was, he did it. He struggled, but he did it. You ever struggle with your Christian life? I do. Sometimes you get knocked down and you don't want to get up. God says, get up anyway. Because I want you to. I'll be with you. I will be with you. Bow your heads, please. Father, we thank you for just the fact you promise you'll be with us. You'll never leave us, never forsake us, never have us out there by ourselves. I think about Jeremiah. Such an encouraging point to remember. Most of the time, we don't think this way. Every day, he would go out there and proclaim the word of God, and he was all alone, all alone, except he had you. Lord, please remind me, remind us, that as long as we have you, we have all that we need. Psalm 73 tells when we got alone with you, I realized that's all I need on earth is you. There are times, Lord, when we seem like we are the only ones following you in our circle. That's okay. You just call us to be faithful, not perfect, faithful. We want to learn from Jeremiah. We want to learn from the word of God to be what you want us to be. So, Lord, as we close out this service today, for the believers, I pray we'd be challenged to be faithful. Be like Jeremiah. Get up every day, go to work, no excuses. And Lord, if there's somebody here who's not a Christian, they would say, Jesus, I believe you did die for me. Forgive me. Save me. I want to serve you. We thank you for the privilege of serving in Jesus' name. Amen.